Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Tim, thank you for leading that first song. Uh, Who can stop us if God is for us? And it goes so well with what Nehemiah and his uh, group of people did going back and rebuilding the walls. And for you as a church today, I just want to encourage you with that phrase. Because, you know, if we're honest, we are with each other, and I think we can be. We are in a rebuilding mode here at Providence. And I just, uh, before I go into the message, uh, I just want to bless you and thank you as a church for uh, being here and working together and coming to this point This is an encouraging and exciting Sunday for your church. I'm excited for you, and I want to bless you in that. And I feel uh, privileged uh, to be a part of this Sunday. I really do. So I just just commend you. And uh, by the way, uh, my my wife is in Cincinnati with her family. Uh, Her mother turned 80 yesterday, and so... Her parents and her siblings are all there celebrating for the weekend. And so she said, it's terrible. It's the third time you're going to Providence that I didn't go along. And she feels bad. But uh, she would have loved to be here. But, you know, your mom's birthday only comes once in a lifetime. And so I blessed her in going down there. So uh, looking into God's word here. And, uh, you know, I think if I'm right, Chris opened up last Sunday with the first two chapters and kind of focusing on the burden from God and fasting and prayer and, and then Nehemiah going back. And in chapter 3, uh, I'd just like to bring out one verse of chapter 2 that is so profound where Nehemiah says, Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls. Why? So that we will no longer be a disgrace. Isn't that powerful? And that's what we as Christians are about. Let's build the kingdom. Let's continue to build the church so that to the world, the Christians are not a disgrace. That's what, because people are watching us. There's an evangelist who uh, in England years ago, he said this, Rodney... Gypsy was his name. He said that we have five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christians. And he said some people will never read the first four because they observe our lives. As a Mahatma Gandhi was a devout Hindu, lived most of his life in South Africa. He read the Bible, but he was not a believer. And he said this, he said, I love their Christ, but I don't like their Christians. I love their Christ and what he stood for and gave his life, but I don't like the Christians. People, I, say, I share that to say that people are watching and observing our lives. And when we allow the walls to crumble down from the inside, it doesn't look good. And so I'm excited. I really loved studying this chapter 3 and 4. There is so much in here. But before I read, I'm not going to read chapter 3 because... But there are some profound uh, things I'd like to draw out of it. But I'd like to read chapter 4. But just uh, if you can put the screen up of the city there. I don't know how clear that's going to be for you. But uh, in the next slide, David, if you can go on to that. Um, 
So uh, it's pretty dark. But I, I searched the internet for a good picture, and the best one I could find was in my Bible. And so I took a picture and sent my email and put it up here. Sorry, it's not clear. But the city of Jerusalem there, it was Nehemiah's Jerusalem here. And by the way, this, the city of Jerusalem was besieged 23 times. It was attacked 52 times. It was destroyed twice and was captured and recaptured 44 times in the history of the city of Jerusalem. I was just amazed when I, when I read the statistics on that. But Nehemiah was just a, a, a very, so interesting to study his life. And uh, this, this was an amazing feat that only could be done because of God's help. Just, just so you, sometimes we look at this and we don't realize the size of the city. There were two, two and a half miles of wall around the city. The average height was 39 feet, although they only took it up to about half that height, if you read that in chapter 4. The thickness of the wall was a little over eight feet thick. There were 34 watchtowers seven main gates and two minor gates. And a couple of the things I'd like to point out before we read chapter 4. One phrase, and it, it, it's repeated about 21 times in chapter 3, and it is next to them, next to them, and beside them, and beside them. So beside Dan and his tribe was next to them was was, was Marlon and Alice and their tribe building the wall. And next to them was Marcus and Narita. And it was next to them. And they weren't quibbling and they weren't arguing and they weren't fighting, but they were rebuilding the wall. I just love that phrase. If you read chapter 3, next to them, beside them. It's beautiful. The other thing, two things I'd like to point out in that chapter is uh, in verse 5. You know, they, they did have some that didn't want to work. It says, Beside the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not lift a finger to help the supervisors. See what a fod. It says they were, they were late. They didn't want to work. But then, uh, and then also in, in verse 12, interesting, Shalom, it said that he and his daughters built the wall. I thought that was interesting. He and his daughters built the wall, but the working together is what stood out to me. And the, and the thing about, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to go ahead and, and read chapter 4 now. So in chapter 3, they had basically had most of the wall done, and it says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. And I'm reading out of uh, the Holmes Bible, a Christian Standard Bible. He became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Now just, uh, these two men were, uh, they were leaders in Samaria. And, and the reason they felt so threatened is because the trade route went right past Jerusalem. And as long as they kept Jerusalem subdued and it wasn't a powerful city, it brought trade to Samaria a lot more. 
Plus, they were in control of that area as long as Jerusalem wasn't functioning as a powerful city. So they were really mocking and ridiculing and making fun of them. Then, this is a powerful prayer by Nehemiah. Listen to this prayer. Nehemiah says, Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. Do you ever pray a prayer like that? I, I've never, I never have prayed like that about my enemies. We're, we, we teach that we're supposed to love our enemies. This is a strong prayer. That the insults return on their heads and don't cover their guilt or their sin. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had the will to keep working. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem were progressing and the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. And another prayer. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of our laborers fail since there is so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're coming among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I had made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord, and fight for your countrymen, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that we knew their shame and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers, officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building and the trumpeter was beside him. Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the tr- whenever, wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers and my servants and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon even when, even when washing. So hang on, I just lost my clip here. I think we're good. So, just a, a powerful chapter there uh, with the, and I love the leadership of, of Nehemiah. And I would like to just, for the next minute or two, look at, look at Nehemiah. 
and just point out some things about his leadership. And I'd like to share this and just challenge Marcus for you and also the leadership here. For the number one thing that I'd like to point out, a praying man and a relationship with God. You can read it eight different times where he stopped and prayed. And I don't know if the screen is up there, but if you look at the screen of Nehemiah, I put on there he had a respect for leadership because he asked the king for permission. He had a vision and a plan. He surveyed the wall at night. He communicated clearly with simplicity. He was organized. There were about 42 different groups of people that were building the wall. He was able to delegate with the authority that he had. And he was infectious with optimism. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, it says, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. Fight for your countrymen, your sons, your daughters, and your wives. He was just, he was, he was a man that you wanted to follow. But let me tell you something. All the things up there really don't mean much if the first one is not happening. And I remember uh, a number of months ago, I listened to a message by Crawford Loretz, an older pastor from Atlanta, Georgia. He was speaking at pastor conference at Moody, and he said that he believes, he is convinced that pastors burn out more from not being connected to the vine and staying in the word than from overload of schedule. And Marcus, to you, as a leader here, whatever you do, John 15, stay connected to the vine. Stay in the word and spend time in prayer. Because you can't give what you don't possess. You cannot minister if it's not in your heart. And to you as elders, I share that also. Stay connected to the vine. Because if you're not connected to the vine, the rest really doesn't matter. You will not be an effective leader. If we, and to you as men, as fathers, if you're connected to the vine where the source of life is God's word, then you can weather the storms. Then you can go rebuild the walls when they fall down, when things go, don't go the way that. And, and, and that's life. Life, things will happen. And it's interesting that uh, I, I just came across an ad that was shown to me in the early 1900s by a, a man by the name of Ernest Shackleton, and it reminded me of Nehemiah and rallying the men to come work. It's interesting. He, uh, he took a he was trying to reach the South Pole. And he put an ad in the London paper. This is what it said. It said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. And he was taking a voyage to the South Pole. And 28 men signed up. And they all came back alive. Can you imagine that? Who would want to do that? But he had enough men to, to go across the water with his boat and make it to the South Pole. I thought, that, and it reminded me of Nehemiah rallying his men. They were willing to face the storms of life and travel to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls. I'd like to just point out some key phrases from chapter 4 here. Again, next to him and beside him. In verse 6, Nehemiah said, so we built the wall. I love that phrase. It wasn't, I was in charge and I told them. It's, we built the wall. The next one, the people had the will 
to keep working also in verse 6. In verse 14, I referred to that already, don't be afraid. And then also remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. As you go from here as a church, remember the great and inspiring Lord that we serve. And then also fight for each other. And, And not with each other, but fight for each other. Help each other out. And in verse 21, our God will fight for us. As interesting at the end, always be ready. It says that they kept their clothes on and they only took them off to wash. You know what that tells me? Sometimes we forget and, and we don't need to have our focus on our enemy, Satan. But he's on duty 24-7. And sometimes we as Christians forget that and we're not ready 24-7 for his attacks. We need to always be ready at all times because he's always looking for a weakness. And Satan will try to get us, will try to, to undermine us and to make us fail by what? Sometimes just plain being busy. You know what the number one thing is that I hear when I'm at Gospel Haven and I'm greeting people in the morning as they come and I say, how are you doing? How was your week? Now, I don't know if you say it here, but I don't always hear this, but I hear this the most. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, we're so busy. And Satan can use that to derail our relationship with each other and with him, with God. I'm so busy. So just a challenge for all of us, for me. What is my life? Am I too busy to stay connected to the vine? In life, we will have opposition, just like they did in rebuilding the wall. Here it was Sanballat and Tobiah, rulers in Samaria. They were ridiculed. The first they became angry in verse uh, 1 and 3 and 7. They mocked them. They ridiculed them. They threatened them. They tried to sabotage them. They attacked them. And so they had opposition. And, and right now in uh, Gospel Haven, we launched a series on the armor of God. Uh, Last Sunday, I was talking about uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Let's remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against darkness, against the enemy, Satan. Spiritual warfare in high places. And I I came across this by, by Charles Spurgeon. He said, God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trials. Isn't that true? He had one son without sin, but yet he had a son who also experienced trial, but not without trials. Opposition is not only an evidence that God is blessing, but it is also an opportunity for us to grow. So in your personal journey with God, as a family and as a church, this this is an exciting day for your church. But remember... And don't walk out of here with fear, but be ready. Because Satan doesn't like the fact that the church is growing. That people are coming to Christ. That your walk is coming deeper, is getting deeper with God. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want that. But yet, the first song, like it said, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Our God is much greater 
but it's our responsibility to be prepared to fight the battle. And one of the words that just stood out to me, that really stood out to me, just in closing here, was responsibility. You know, Nehemiah saw a need. He saw a problem. And he could have stayed over. He was the king's cupbearer. He had an amazing job, although I think they had to taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poison. I'm not too sure about that. But he had a comfortable job. But yet he was... It burdened him because his city was in ruins. And he didn't say, well, it's not my responsibility. No, he took responsibility. One of the, one of the greatest downfalls of our country, of our, of our community, of our world, is irresponsibility. You know, we, we, we blame the government. We blame the teacher. We blame the preacher. We blame our wife, we blame our husband, and we blame this and that. But if we see something, and if we make a mistake, and we're wrong, if we're willing to take responsibility, and by the way, it started all the way back in Genesis. You know this story well. Now what if Adam would have said when God came to him, you know what, God, I'll take full responsibility for this. I should have stepped in. I should have not let my wife eat of the fruit. You think our world would be different? But no. What did Adam say? Well, it was my wife. And Eve said, oh, it was the serpent. So I just challenge you. Let's take responsibility first for our own actions and decisions and words and life. And then as a church, let's take responsibility. Let's be responsible. Just in closing here, just a few challenges. Questions for all of us. Do you have, do you feel like your wall is crumbling in your personal life? You know, and it's kind of opposite. We always talk about taking walls down and, and having a close relationship, but is, is, your, is your spiritual wall around you, is it crumbling? If it is today, my encouragement is to, to find someone that you can talk to and confide in that can help you rebuild your wall. And then... What is your plan to overcome what your family might be facing? You as a father, a leader of your home, do you have a plan? Do you have someone you can go to to rebuild the relationships that might be broken? And then to use a church, the last thing I'd like to challenge you with is are you going to work together? Are you going to continue to work together to rebuild the walls. And you know, walls have to be maintained also. Why was the wall built? It's for protection. For safety. And, and we need to create a safe place where people can worship and where people feel safe to share from their hearts. So that is my challenge to you as a church today. And especially to you as leaders, as we look at the life of, of Nehemiah, stay connected to the vine. Marcus and Narita as a couple, stay connected to each other. And to you as elders, and to you as fathers, and to all of us, stay connected to the vine with each other 
and let's support each other and let's build each other up. I'd like to just pray and then I'll turn the time over to Brent. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, your word. And as we looked at the life of, of Nehemiah today and how he had the courage and took responsibility to, to go back to Jerusalem and to, to uh, rebuild the walls, to take inventory and, and to uh, lead his people. And Father, thank you for the, just the, the lessons we can learn from his life and trusting you and, and rallying his people and, and just working with them and, and the working together that we saw. I pray that the church here at Providence would continue to do that. I just pray a blessing upon this, uh, this congregation and each home and each individual person, God. We commit the rest of this service to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.